improvised radio theatre with dice. My name is Michael Keel. And I'm Roger Bell West. We are coming to you from uh, the increasingly rain-soaked British Isles. I would like you to imagine uh, that we are sitting in Roger's Castle atop a um, uh, high hillside and waving at the increasingly sodden peasants below. This isn't true, but I'd like you to imagine it. We haven't been flooded out yet. No, no it, it, it had to get biblical flood levels to get up here, Roger. Um, that, I, that was the plan when we chose this place, yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> we should probably do Apocalypses, Biblical and other at, mm. some, at some stage. Yeah. However, uh, this time we're going to be talking about uh, uh, games products and uh, game systems that we found uh, useful and interesting and have played. We're going to talk about um, Roger's uh, long-ago love, Rollmaster. Uh, all its various spawn and supplements and things. Uh, many, many hideous spawn in the woods. Um, and uh, a game called Microscope about building histories. And some advice for GMs in Never Unprepared. things that I'm sure those of you who have been in a relationship for any length of time will know is that you have to make allowances for your uh, partners, other half, um, eccentricities and peculiar tastes. You just have to nod and say, yes, yes, that's nice. And this is true in marriages, I'm told, um, and in gaming groups, and also when you're doing a podcast together. And in Roger's case, um, the thing I have to make an allowance for is his um, peculiar enthusiasm for Rollmaster. Um, this is uh, another of our Out of the Cupboard um, sections where we drag out games that we've enjoyed in the past and might want to enjoy again in the future. And Roger is attempting the epic task of justifying his love of Rollmaster. Take it away, Roger. Well, I think it helps to start with to work out where Rollmaster came from. It was not originally designed as a single role playing game. Uh -huh. It started coming out in uh, 1980 with the Arms Law booklet. Yeah. And that, that was designed as an add-on to whatever other fantasy role-playing game you were already playing. Uh, specifically, uh, AD&D and RuneQuest were the, were the ones yeah. that were mentioned at the time. And it was basically a way of saying, you can keep your existing game, but here, here is a system with more stuff, more detailed combat, uh, more specific results and so on. It was intended to be a... What, what? I think it was later called a cap system, stuck on top of whatever base system you were going to use. Pretty much, yeah. Did anybody use it like that? Because I said I, I don't know. I, I I came into this after the after it had been integrated. Over the next couple of years, they brought out some more books. Mm. Uh, Claw Law was the animal and unarmed fighting yeah. version. Spell Law was uh, doing the same sort of thing for magic, because it had to fit onto what was the predominant system then and now, D&D, uh, &D. it felt like uh, second thoughts to D&D to &D and, um, and slightly clumsy expansions to D&D, &D, something like the Arduin system that, that uh, Dave Hargreaves, I think, is that the name, had already done? It may have started that way. Um, by 1982, Character Law came out, and that, that was the book that said, yeah. OK, you've got all these other things, you can now have a complete role-playing system, mm -hmm. which is Rollmaster. Um, first box set was two years later. Um, it, it had a bit of a sidetrack in Middle-earth role-playing, which we'll come back to later. Okay. Uh, but basically it, it, it carried on 
um, for the next next quite a few years. Um, third edition was ninety five, and that's in the set of ring binders behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, I I kind of lost touch with it uh, in the mid nineties because I went on to other systems, but uh, it, it it does continue now. Um, there was a substantially revised edition that came out in '99, but apparently some people don't like it because you can still get what they now call Rollmaster Classic. Basically, it's got a reputation as being horribly complex because there is lots of stuff. Yeah. But the core mechanic is really quite simple. You have a percentile system. Yeah. Uh, you have a number which increases with your skill. Mm-hmm. You roll a d100, you add that to the number, you add modifiers, and the higher the result, the better. That's really the core of it. Then, it, then there are special cases, but um, it had a tendency. I did. It, I seem to recall it had a tendency to explode. Yeah, it was the first system I came across that used what they call open-ended rolls. Yeah. So if on your initial roll you roll ninety-six to hundred, mm-hmm. you roll again and add. Or yeah, I, th- get, I think it probably was the first system to use to use exploding rolls. Uh, or if you rolled uh, zero one to zero five, you roll again and subtract. Mm. So, for example... I'm, so I'm, open-ended at both ends? Yeah. It wouldn't seesaw. Once it had started going in a particular direction, it would keep going that way, but there was no actual limit. Yeah. Um, I, I have here the static action table, for example, which is basically a set of modifiers for difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say I'm, I'm looking at a lock-picking task. I'm, I've, I've got a difficulty level from you know, routine to absurd. I've got an amount of light mm. from no shadows at all to pitch black. Um and so on. It's just a series of plus minus five, plus minus tens that you add up. Mm. And uh, basically, if, if you get over a hundred, you've done the whatever it was. Yeah, I seem to recall that. I mean, I mean, you say that it was a it was a, a simple system at core, um, and Lord knows that's the same same thing I say about about GURPS whenever people say um, they find it too complicated complex to get their head around but I seem to recall one or two one or two details wasn't there a, a, a rule for maneuvering for basically running across a room you could uh, just just as in any system that has rules for moving about you can use the rules for running across a room yeah um, I'm sorry I, I, may, I, I, may be, I may be mistaken I, I'm looking at the moving maneuver table here um, and it, it works quite similarly you, you assign a difficulty to the task mm. Um, you roll, you add your relevant. Yeah. Generally, in this, it would be your manoeuvring in armor skill because armor gives you a penalty. Yeah, that was stuff. what I was remembering. Yeah. Um, and you you get out of this either you've messed up, or you've done extremely well, or you get a percentage, hmm. and that percentage is normally the, the proportion of whatever it was you were attempting that yeah. you have succeeded. And in in some cases, of course, you you either jumped across the chasm or you didn't. Hmm. But. Uh, that it's the proportion of the length you were attempting to jump. Yeah, important in jumping across a cam- chasm. And in, in extreme cases, if you roll if you roll high enough, or you're particularly good, you can do things like um, all, all your allies are at plus ten for two rounds because they're so impressed with what you just did. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the it's the extremely detailed and extremely lengthy uh, tables for. Um, Combat results, especially, 
um, that, that I think most people remember out of out of uh, role Yeah, well, I'll, I'll I'll deal with that now, and then I'll come back to character development later. Okay. Before combat, you've got a full page chart for your weapon, uh-huh. as it might be. I'm looking here at a, a hand axe on one page, a mangosh on another page. Uh, further on, I've got a warhammer. Mm-hmm. Across the top, you have armor types, mm-hmm. which are not quite armor classes because having having a high one is not always better. Yeah. They, they are descriptors of different sorts of thing you could be wearing. Yeah. And up the side you have your total uh, role, which is your, your weapon skill is basically on the, on the same scale as everything else. You might get a benefit from having a, a nifty magic weapon or something like that. Yeah. All of this gets added up and, and becomes your offensive bonus. Yeah. The problem with this, I see, is that you haven't got a single result if you are a one-player character fighting two enemies in different types of armor with one weapon, um, well, you're then, making, then you're then you're then you're rolling once to hit hit one of them, and rolling on a different column to hit another. That's fairly yeah. straightforward. But if you're the GM running a combat with um, six, five different players and, uh, and each with five different weapons facing a different kind of armor on e- on each opponent. Then you are flipping about like nobody's flipping the business. Uh, first of all, I, I, I would give the players copies of the charts of their weapons. Well, fair that, enough. That, yeah. that was easy. Get them to do that, uh, and certainly the critical tables, which I'll come on to in a minute. Um, as a GM, I generally didn't seem to have a problem. I, I, I might put uh, bookmarks in for the specific weapons that a bunch of foes were using. Yeah, but you, you may be generically more organised than I am. Um, but, but I, I would say, okay, this guy's hitting you. What's your armor type? And, and they would say, yeah. 17. The, the thing I was going to get at was that most modern designs and, and designs that were coming up then would have one number on the character sheet that uh, that you needed to roll to hit under all all circumstances, and maybe one one other roll you needed to to assign the damage. Mm. Depending on the weapon, and it was that that information was bundled into the into yeah. the character. character. I, I, I'm not claiming this is a modern design. It isn't. No. Um, the the core of it was basically re- complete by 1982. It's been revised a bit since then, but it's still mm. basically the same game. Yeah. Um, but even for them, it wasn't the simplest system going. No. So it's not. It's not. It's not always very quick to play, mm. particularly if you take time to look stuff up. Um, but it is, I would say, simple in that you're not being asked to do anything terribly mentally demanding in the process. And so you've got that offensive bonus, and because they regarded it as as important to be able to fight defensively or not, uh, you you can put half of that onto your defence if you want to. Mm. Um, Your your defensive bonus is generally fairly small. It's it's basically your dexterity, more or less. So hang on, does that affect your opponent's chance, or is it a separate? Yeah, the the defensive bonus is subtracted from okay. the, the attack roll. So if, if I, I have an offensive bonus, I, I put some bit to my defense, so, I, so I'm I'm hitting less effectively. Yeah. So so, the, so, that, so then when you try to hit me, um, you'll be more penalised because I have that defense. So you have one combat skill, but it serves two purposes, and you don't have the and and the maneuver defense. The defensive or offensive maneuver thing that GURPS does is all into the one is all bundled into the one into the one number. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it, it's somewhat blunt. I mean, you you can decide how much of that half you're going to slide down onto your onto your defence, hmm. as opposed to hitting somebody with it. it. It's it's still fairly abstract. 
you don't get the sort of um, detailed, I'm, doing, I'm using fancy footwork or I'm used doing a retreating parry or whatever that you mm. might get in GURPS. Um, but but it gives you, gives you some way of saying, I want to be harder to hit against mm. this guy and give up the potential for doing damage. Um, so let's say I've hit somebody with a mace. I cross-reference and I might, I might see this 14CK on the table, mm. which is 14 hit points, which is simple, and a C crush critical. And critical hits, I think, are the things that people remember from oh, the yes. master. Especially the extreme ones, which, given the nature of, uh, of dice rolling around gaming tables, came up more often than seemed entirely feasible. Yeah, and th that's where the um, cunning detail comes in. Because hit points are just hit points. You, you will gradually slow down as you lose them, um, but actually dying of hit point exhaustion is, is quite rare. Mm. Because generally the criticals get you first. This is a straight D100 roll, not open-ended. Uh, the severity goes from A to E, uh, and a, a may end up doing nothing at all. And, for example, I have blow to foe's forearm. Foe's at minus ten, plus nine hits, and is stunned during next round. Mm -hmm. Saved on extra hit points, he's stunned, he's at a penalty until he gets that sorted out. And that, that that's where all the clever stuff comes in. It, make, it makes it hard to um, modify things, because it's all integrated in, into this uh, standard thing, but it works. Um, so some, sometimes you will simply die when you, when you hit with a critical. Yeah. But the, this, this is not your D&D &D critical where you expect it to end a fight, or at least the house rules for criticals that I met mm. generally did. Um, with a low-level critical, which is what you get most of the time, you might do some extra hits, you might have some minor effects, but it's not generally a fight-ender. The high-end ones, they definitely are. Mm. Crush foe's skull, plus 30 hits, opponent dies immediately. Add plus 20 yeah, to Yeah, the plus 30 hits seems a little, seems a little superfluous after the, after the second sentence, there. Well, yes, but you, you might want to resurrect him. Or right. his friends might want to resurrect him. And plus 20 to your next swing, who have half a round left to act. Hmm. I recall the, those tables and, and the gruesome pleasure with which uh, with which uh, some, some of the players would, uh, uh, would would cry out when they took them. I will say, uh, parenthetically, though, if they, they have criticals that don't do anything, then uh, that's a fault that still exists in GURPS. I always feel that the criticals should have... Having no effect from a critical in this is, is pretty rare. Um, you, usually you'll get at least a few more hits. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's one of the annoying things on GURPS. I, I think since I've started playing GURPS, I have once seen the actual enhanced damage mm. critical. Obviously you're not getting the same distortion of, of, of probabilities around your gaming <laughs> table as I am. All right, you were going to talk but, about uh, character generation. Or, or is there something more? Um, well, I'm just saying that... The, you, you've got these big tables, but in terms of what the player needs, you probably have one or two weapon charts and maybe three critical tables that you might have to roll on. Mm. Um, and they, yeah, they, they do what they say. Yeah. Those detailed wounds that we've just been talking about are, are matched by detailed healing. And there, there are spells for fixing broken bones, which are separate from spells for replacing your lost blood. Yeah. I, it reminds me a bit of, uh, of the Harnmaster. Uh, combat system in that in that regard, in the the individual treatments of of types of armor, and the very individual effects of uh, of wounds to different parts of the body. Yeah, but uh, I think I think Hellmaster being slightly later is is slightly more playable uh, than I, than I, I consider this to be. But carry on. Well, 
Yeah. The, the as far as playability goes, I've I've just resolved that with two dice rolls. Mm. And once once people get the hang of you roll, you add this, you look it up on the table, you roll this other thing. Mm. It's it's really not that hard. Anyway, um, as far as characters go, it, it's a class and level system. Yeah. And it doesn't really want to be a class and level system. What do you mean by that? Well, you have a class, yeah. but it doesn't have hu- huge effects on most things. Um, you you might get a bonus per level to your class-specific ability, like fighting for a fighter or something yeah. of that nature. Uh, but what it mostly does is set your costs for learning things. Hmm. Each time you go up a level, yeah. which you will do twice before you start play just to give you a set of basic skills. Okay, that's slightly boggling, but never mind. Well, why not, really? <laughs> All right, fair enough. As, as opposed to saying, here is your standard term. But the, the idea is you can have the character you actually want to play, even yeah. though there is some random rolling involved. Um, so you, you, each, each time you do a level game, you have a certain number of development points yeah. based on your stats, and you spend them on mostly skills mm-hmm. and sometimes spells. Um, so a fighter's cost for, for his um, favourite weapon might be one slash five, so he can spend one point to get plus one skill rank, and five more points to get a second one, uh-huh. and he can't just get a third one. Um, but a magician's cost for his best weapon would be nine. Mm. Uh, he can only get the one rank he has to spend more to do it. On the other hand, the magician's paying one to, to learn spells, whereas the fighter pays twenty. Yeah. So you're not actually that bound to your class. It, it affects the cost. So you, you should pick a class that matches the sort of skills and things you, you're planning to use. Mm-hmm. Um, um, hang on, a step back. Stats are randomly rolled, or what? Stats are randomly rolled. There are ten of them. As far as I remember, you can arrange them as you like, mm. as standard. So um, I, I have these ten rolls. I'll put them in these in these and these stats here. Yeah, and and each class has a recommended um, prime stat. Yeah, um, which is basically the stat that's used for these skills. Yeah, that it specialises in. Um, le- levels all. Are basically there to say how often you get to spend a chunk of development points. Yeah, uh, they they are also used for resistance rolls to things like poison. Um, that table looks a lot like the basic role playing resistance table, except it goes non-linear at the end, so you don't have automatic successes and automatic okay. failures. Um, but that's really it. And I, I know a number of people produced house rules to remove levels completely. Mm. What are the um, in the basic set? What are the what's the range of uh, of uh, of classes. Well, the, the basic approach seems to be um, we've got more stuff than that other game. Ah, oh, right. Well, uh, so, yeah. um, for, okay, in, in basic uh, character law, you've got the fighter, the thief, yeah. the rogue, who's a bit of a hybrid of the two, and the warrior monk, who's a martial artist. Mm-hmm. Then, then you come onto magic, and there are, there are three different sorts of magic. Okay. They all use the same rules, but they are, they are different realms of power. They have different things they can do. Yeah, that's something I would not enthuse about. The fact that I always felt that one of the things I learned from RuneQuest was that the mechanics should be different for modelling different things. Um, so you, you've, you've got Essence, which mm. is your basic drawing power from the universe and um, zapping people with it. And you've got Channeling, which is um, getting power from some sort of large divinity or spirit or yeah. god. And you've got mentalism, which is more or less drawing power from your own resources. Yeah. That, that tended overall to be less powerful, but uh, more cunning as to what you could do with it. Mm-hmm. 
in each magical realm, you've got three classes that uh, use that as their special thing. Uh, Essence, you've got the magician, the illusionist, and the alchemist. Uh-huh. Um, Chandler, you've got the cleric, the animist, and the healer. Um, that's the empathic sort of healer who takes other people's wounds on himself. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are many players rushing to, 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 to choose that one. Uh, mentalism, you've got the, the mentalist, who's basically psychic mind domination. The lay healer, who has the actual curing type of spells. Uh-huh. And the seer. Uh, th th then you can combine different realms of magic to get the sorcerer, who blows stuff up. The mystic, who's basically an illusionist plus actual occasional modification of things. And the astrologer, who does detection and communication. Mm -hmm. um, and th then you can hybridise fighting and magic, so you, you get the a different sort of monk. Yeah, that has the feel... And the ranger and the bard. That has the feel of somebody who's thought, um, I've got the, these these nice classifications, let's use them in the rules. But it hasn't necessarily thought about what the world would be like, or what they wanted the world to be like, as a result of the magic being in it. Well, remember, this is 1980. You're, 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 you were pretty much expected to, to define your own world and assume it was going to look more or less medieval. Yeah. Some of these people wandering around blowing things up. All right. Um, all right, they, they, all right. they did produce um, world world book stuff later, which I'll, I'll come on to. Okay. Um, um, basically, it was generally pretty easy to fit, fit most classic mm. FRP character classes in, into something like that. You don't get a paladin in, in the base book, uh -huh. and you don't get an assassin. I'm I'm not missing them. Oh, I'm not. I'm missing the paladin because I like playing goody goody types. But um, bo both of those came up in supplements anyway. Magic happens in spell lists. I seem to remember it's something like two thousand spells in in the original book. Um, so for each realm, you've got the op open lists, which anybody who does that sort of magic can learn. Yeah. Uh, you've got closed lists, which only the people who specialise in it can learn, and then you've got class specific spell lists. Okay. So hang on. What's the difference between a closed list and a class list? Um, Anybody who does essence magic as as their main thing they do, a, mag a magician right. or an illusionist or an alchemist. Oh, I see. Can, yeah. Can so, 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 so there are there are there are uh, there are spells common to the three overgroups. Yes, I got it right. And so the the lay healer, for example, ha has uh, spell spells for nerve and organ repair and uh, prosthesis, and su sufficiently good prosthesis um, will actually work like the original part. The monk has uh, things to control his uh, body and basically do the flip, flipping around and ignoring injury and breathing underwater and things like that. Yeah, and so on. You you also get um, the recommended only for NPCs, the evil cleric, evil magician, and evil mentalist oh, lists good. for things like diseases and animate dead and enslave and that sort of thing. Yeah, one one of the nice things about it is that it's a PowerPoint system. Yeah. Based on your stat, you would typically have one or two power points per level. Mm -hmm. um, the cost of casting a spell is its level, and you you don't just learn one spell at a time. You learn a list of spells. Mm -hmm. So, say you're level five, you, you you may well have learned three lists. You've got fifteen spells to choose from. Mm -hmm. You don't have that um, memorization of specific spells as you had in D and D, which I think was one of the yeah. Well, it could be a design goal to get rid of that. Yeah, I think a lot of people around this time were trying to get rid of it. I know, I know, I was. It means you you generally have a lot of different spells to choose from, and yes, it's a nuisance when you've run out of powerpoints. Mm. But but you do you do at least have things to do. Although you you don't just have magic missile mm. or sleep. Very useful sleep. It is 
disappointing when it's the only damn thing you can do, but... Yeah. Um, and then, then there were, of course, lots of expansions. All right, so which directions did they expand into? I think they started off with the Shadow World series, which was their own fantasy world. Yeah, I remember seeing it. It looked very pretty, but I wasn't able to get a good grasp on it, maybe because I didn't understand the system. I think it was really mostly a bottom-up design. Individual people would have their particular areas that they cared about and uh -huh. wrote books about, but I don't think there was any sort of overarching concept. I, I never got seriously into the, into that particular series myself, mm. but uh, yeah, the, the, there were settings and adventures available. Yeah, I, I had a friend who bought it, just the 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 core set, the overarching arching thing, um, because he was enthusiastic about the Lord of the Rings game, a Middle Earth role playing. But uh, I, I I couldn't I I couldn't. It was one of those worlds that I couldn't get a grasp on. Yeah. Um, that there are people who are still enthusiastic about it today. I, I'm, I was never particularly a huge fan. Um, there was Middle Earth role playing, which was not technically a Rollmaster supplement. However, the books they brought out um, describing yeah. worlds, uh, different parts of the world, and adventures and so on were dual statted for Merp and Rollmaster. Yeah, it felt that the, the actually going off on a tangent for a, a bit. Um, Middle Earth role playing felt like an attempt to stuff the the world into the system. I don't think it. I, I don't think it, it really matched. The, I, I think the, that the feel of 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 what, what I read in Tolkien. The biggest problem for me uh, was the magic. Yeah, that uh, was amazing. There's one. lots of magic about. People use it all the time. Yeah, and Gandalf doesn't really work as a D and Dish wizard. Um, yeah, we we all had this discussion in the early days. But he but he, he he he. The magic there is either. The magic that's implied in the in the Lord of the Rings, and and it is an extraordinary time that it's depicting, is either much smaller than uh, role playing games were doing, or much much larger, and nowhere in between. Yeah, and role playing games, I, I think here in particular, show their evolution from war games. Mm. You know, we we need something that is useful in this tactical battlefield where we've got a bloke with a sword as well. Yeah, and if 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 the spell is we're just going to explode everybody on the battlefield. That doesn't give the bloke with the sword anything to do. You will note that Gandalf does not explode anybody much. Yeah. Um, so th those are the worlds, and uh, there, there are people who speak very highly of the Middle-earth books as source material for the world. Hmm. Um, my, the, friend, the, my friend that was in the Hughes, still has all the maps. Though I think you pretty much have to strip off the magic. Yeah. Um, they were the companions. There were, I think, seven of them in the end. Uh, which were basically hodgepodges of, of new stuff. Mm -hmm. um, classes with spell lists, extra skills. Some of it was fun and useful, some of it was overpowered, mm -hmm. some of it was boring. Um, it was never their intention that people should use everything. Yeah. And some some of the alternative rules were, were actually incompatible with other alternative rules and marked as such. Um, but uh, the first companion brought in things like the Barbarian, uh, the Paladin, and mm. the... Uh, the Knight's Blade, which is their assassin equivalent, basically stealth and poisoning specialist, and had lots of extra skills, uh, rules for having items with their own intelligence and willpower. Mm. Always a good. That is that is a. Uh, that's an old D and D trope that I actually slightly miss. Um, uh, yeah, but it's also got a chapter on city design, for example. It, it, it's how did it? Mix how, how much? How much Guidance did it give for adapting their system to um, a specific world? 
Not that so much. There, there is a fair bit in character law, uh, well, specifically campaign law, or on building a world and just deciding you know, what what you're going to put on, yeah. the, on the map, uh, deciding which sort of creatures you're going to have, geography, society, things like that. S set up your list of languages, just decide on what technology level each mm. society is at, and that, that sort of thing. There's nothing very specific about it, but it's saying if, if, if you want a world like where, where this is happening, that those are going to be the implications of it. Yeah. It is very much a system for for people to build their own rather than uh, adapt to the existing. Yeah, one. I mean, it, it it struck me as there being a lot of there being a lot of work to be done, but also a lot of assumptions built into the system, which weren't entirely explored in making it a generic a generic system. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, in in fact, in in the later days of Classic Rollmaster, uh, they they did make some effort to make it into a generic system. Uh, there was Space Master, which I'll mention in a minute, which mm -hmm. is the, the science fiction one. But there, there were also um, books for things like Ancient Greece or pirates um, or Arabian Nights and things like that. Yeah, uh, there, there was even a nineteen twenties pulp Ooh. book at one point. I don't know how seriously most people took it. I thought it was great because I, I was moving in the direction of a generic system already. Yeah, but. I, I don't feel I don't hear people talking a lot about that era now. Mm. Um, following the more stuff principle, we have uh, se several hundred healing herbs that do different things. <laughs> we've, we've got yeah. pr prices for a variety of um, animals and means of transport. Well, yeah, my, I, I do sometimes feel that, that the more stuff principle is a mistake. And I say this as somebody who has a shelf and a half full of GURPS books. Um, I think. Uh, I feel that the uh, primary uh, uh, example of why this is sometimes a bad idea is Rifts, where you know yeah. uh, that they boast about the number of extra character classes they're going to add to com uh, to complicate your life on the back on the back of the books. Companion Two, I think it was, had the integrated um, character class and skill cost list, which runs to four double pages. Hmm. Well, that's only after the second. Yeah, I, th I think after that, um, people were mostly their, their authors were mostly encouraged to say this uses the same cost as that class because you know, really you you've got yeah um, forty of them now that probably ought to be enough. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do with it that was fun? Um, I ran a certain amount of fantasy. I, I ran a lot more uh, of the science fiction space uh, version, Space Master, so which was. Not an expansion. It was originally sold as a separate system. Yeah. Um, you do not need any Rollmaster to play this. Yeah. Uh, originally in two books, Future Law and Tech Law. Yeah. Fu future Law was characters, Tech Law was stuff. Mm -hmm. Basically the same core mechanics. Yeah. Uh, different set of classes. Um, the, you, you had uh, the armsman who did the basic fighting stuff, but you also had various sorts of technician and pilot and yeah. other things of that sort. I particularly remember the Auto Blaster, which... Um, we discovered it had a single shot mode. We hadn't noticed this before. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it has more criticals. Um, but it, it uses essentially the same sort of system. You you uh, compare your mm. attack skill for the, for the particular weapon against uh, an armor type. What sort of adventures were you running with this? 
Uh, well, it, it had its own setting, which I mostly used. Um, it was vaguely fancy, and there is a big star-spanning empire, and pretty much anything goes, and lo lo local um, policies do things pretty much the way they want to. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a certain amount of adventure support, um, quite, quite heavy on, on the doing heroic stuff. Yeah. R rather than being... Um, well, it's space merchants, merchants or... Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it did get a bit prone to power creep in, in its own series of companions, though there were some optional rules that let you carry around uh, man-portable starship-grade weaponry, which is... Yeah. Never a good idea. No, that's never a good idea. More than once with a fusion man gun portable per campaign is, is, is a, <laughs> a bad idea. They, they did actually release um, boxed starship and ground combat games, which, which were pure war games. Um, yeah. What... what the Starship one eventually gave rise to Silent Death, which was a space fighter combat game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was using it as my science fiction system of choice. Uh, I ooh, pretty much went, went with the setting that they provided, um, but obviously ended up writing most of my own adventures for it. Mm -hmm. the, there was the spin-off Cyberspace, which they brought out when they realised, hang on, people are playing cyberpunk. We ought to have a cyberpunk game. Yeah, everybody was doing that. I never felt the compulsion. It, it, it's pretty much the um, high-tech equivalent of MERP in terms of concept. You, you've got uh, a simplified cut-down system. Mm -hmm. It's a bit quicker to play, uh, but it's the, it's basically compatible. Yeah. Creatures and treasures, which they got to three series of. Stuff to kill, and what you take from them when you've killed them. <laughs> yeah. Though they, they also had uh, little excursions into uh, th things like the very fast-breeding herbivore, which exists to give all those big monsters something to eat when they can't get adventurer. That's so considerate. You can see some some of the things down there. Um, sea law, talent law. Sea, sea law was a naval combat system. No, I'm not surprising. We got dark, dark space was. Um, I think it relied on Space Master, but it was it was basically a separate setting where you, where you have Cthulhu beasties returning from their eons long slumber. Let's see, Essence Companion, Martial Arts Companion, Elemental Companion, something called Chicago. Uh, that was the Chicago Ecology for uh, Cyberspace. Oh my word. Um, races and Cultures, Underground Races, Arabian Nights, Oriental Companion, Cyberspace. Hang on, is Harp in here for a reason? Um, it's... I think a latest bit. I've never actually done much with it. I got the book very cheaply because it was an end of run. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was one, one of the ideas of we will keep the same basic concept but simplify ruthlessly and thus get a system that people aren't scared of. Yeah. Well, you're clearly enthused, but it is nowadays back in the cupboard. Things I liked about it are the, the lots of stuff principle. Mm. Um, if I wanted some healing herbs. I had a table of healing herbs. If I, if I wanted to know how, how much a ship would cost, I, ha I had a entry in the, in the yeah, transport cost to say I, how much a ship would cost. I treat I treat GURPS, but it's, it's, it's myriad supplements in much the same way. Yeah. It was also very flexible because with, with that fairly simple core mechanic, um, I, I found I could pretty much do anything I wanted to do in it. Mm. Uh, it, it also... With, with the various supplements, got away from the idea of, of the official way to play the game. Which you remember on Earth, Arcana for D and D, probably went in the. I D &D was I was gone gone from D and D by then. Um, but the, there was a lot of fuss at the time it came out of. You know, are these are these rules regarded as official? Do I have to do I have to use them if I'm going to be playing oh, real yeah. AD and D? Oh, the, uh, the games workshop syndrome. 
and uh, Rollmaster's approach to this was there is no such thing as real Rollmaster, you just play what you feel like. Mm. Which uh, I rather like. Lots of flavour, especially in the magic system. Uh, the, the spell lists define mm. the, the flavour of a class very effectively, not, not just the evil cleric, but uh, the, the things like um, the, the alchemist's enchanting stuff. On the other hand, there's a lot of it. It, it does feel a bit, a bit as if the foundations are crumbling under the weight of all the stuff that's been laid on top of them sometimes. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, it's nice to be able to say that a necromancer's cost to learn the skinning skill is this, but does it really matter that it's different from anybody else's cost to learn the skinning skill? Well, he's going to get a lot more use out of, out of skinning people alive as a necromancer. Uh, the, the, One would the, hope, you know. I mean, if he's doing his job properly. The the Nightblade character, uh, I, I think, as a, as a knock-on from having a very cheap poison skill, also had a very cheap cooking skill. Whether you want to let the assassin cook for your party is another question. I would pro probably prefer to use the assassin as a taster. It's hard to um, modify, it's hard to extend. Yeah. It, its approach to this is it shouldn't need to be extended, I think. You, you've got tables for pretty much every, every medieval weapon, hmm. therefore you shouldn't need to generate a new one. Um, but if you did, it's pretty major work. Yeah, I, I didn't see... Other than doing a lot of... Uh, well, I didn't see how I could expand on the system easily. It's something uh, which is something I can see with uh, something like GURPS because I can see where the bits fit. And I can see that with RuneQuest too. I might not be able to do all the re research to discover the precise damage of a glaive, resarm, his boom, you know, that thing. One of them. One of them. But uh, I, I, could get, I could give uh, an off-the-cuff guess and, uh, and say it's something like this. Yeah, there is a similar one can do similar things in Rollmaster. It's generally a matter of saying this weapon is basically like that weapon, but yeah, it was too abstract for for me. I, I suspect. I mean, you keep hang on a second. You keep saying it was the eighties, but let me have a look up in this RuneQuest two hundred seven, first edition, seventy eight, seventy nine, mm -hmm. and um, second edition was nineteen eighty, and I would, my lord. I humbly submit that um, second edition RuneQuest is knocks something like this into a, a cocked hat, not just for the uh, for, for the uh, the way it binds into into the setting, but for the simplicity of use, for the ease of expansion, for the way it differentiates between between things mechanically between the um, between the priest and the and the shaman. And later between them and the sorcerer, that that things, it, it's a more it's a more advanced idea. Than, I, than I, this. I I went from RuneQuest to to this because I, I I didn't like the binding it to the world because I didn't particularly want to use that world. Well, it was unbindable. I mean, people unbound yes, it. Yes, but it was a, but it was a lot of work. Uh, if you if you want something like a conventional magician in RuneQuest two, and you just have the base book, hmm. that's really quite difficult. Well, I'll grant, I'll grant you it was it was done fairly 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 shortly afterwards, and um, you could see how it would be done in um, just by looking at the uh, the core books. But um, all right, I, I, I will grant you. I never felt this. It, it is unashamedly generic fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, while well, 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 you could use it as a supplement to RuneQuest, and people did. I think most people who were using it in supplement mode did so as a supplement to D and D. 
Yeah, I strongly suspect that that, uh, that it, as well. Yeah, it, it does much more support the go down to dungeon and bash things sort of play mm. than. But okay, RuneQuest can do it. There have yeah. been adventures that were about that, but it, but um, that's certainly its inspiration. Mm. And the, the, this is the system where you, the, there is a big table of what you get experience points for. This includes being killed and resurrected. Yeah, I, uh, well, it's a learning experience. If you're brought back from the brink of death before you die, you only get a quarter as many experience points. I'm not sure that's accurate, but then I'm not <laughs> anxious. <laughs> I'm not anxious to, uh, to, to, to te put that matter to a practical test. <laughs> Do people still play this? Is, is there still stuff coming out? Um, yeah, I believe the current iteration of the system, for about a year, year or so they've been playtesting what they call Rollmaster Unified. Which is supposedly going to combine this classic Rollmaster that we've been talking about and Rollmaster FRP, which they brought out in '99 after I'd pretty much stopped playing. Yeah. Um, which ha which makes substantial revisions, simplifies some things, changes a lot of scales. Not really directly compatible. Yeah. Um, the, the, that uh, seems to have been perhaps not a huge success because they did bring out the Rollmaster Classic books afterwards. Yeah, that's called subverting your own market. I think. So I believe what they're working on now. Is this, this unified rule set, which in theory will do everything? Hmm. Um, Iron Crown has yeah, it's a games company. It's gone bust at least once um, d during during this time, and, and that's why things have slowed down rather. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's still out there. It's probably not a major player these days, yeah. um, but there are still people who play it. Um, for for me, that that whole class and level thing is um, the, the probably the biggest barrier to me getting back. Yeah. Because I just don't like class and level anymore. It's sad, but one moves on. People do, and it's a, it's one of the things that I don't get. That people still say, "Well, I I I, I think it's it's." Uh, uh, they they still ask questions on FRP RP net. They're doing it on RPG net rather. They're doing it at the moment, which go something like, "What's the what's the." Uh, genre that works best with class and level and I have to restrain myself from posting um, posting none of them do which uh, I think would count as thread crapping or whatever they call it yeah and effectively that the, you could say that the genre that was defined by D&D &D. yeah oh well yeah. except that I've got GURPS Dungeon Fantasy to do that with yeah or the, the, bo the boxed game Descent hmm Depend, depending on what you want. Pretty. Now, I think we've waffled. We have. We've waffled away from this. Thank you, Roger, for your, for your reviving your enthusiasm of the 80s. You're not going to rush out and buy it, are you? No. No, I'm not even <laughs> going to borrow your copy of it, honestly. <laughs> One of the things Roger and I have been doing recently is... Uh, putting forward uh, proposals to uh, a group which we both play in for our next game. Um, Roger won. I wouldn't say that exactly. Well, well they, 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 they decided to enthuse about your proposal slightly more. But one of the proposals that I came up with um, caused me to get out my copy of a game called Microscope, which we've mentioned a couple of times earlier in our, um, in our epic saga. And I thought now would be a good time to give it a proper review. Microscope is um, a game of constructing history. I think that's the best way to describe it. 
It's a game in which you sit around uh, a table and outline and depict a great span of um, the history of some culture. Um, the one that I was planning to use it for um, was I proposed to the group that we do a game about a colony setting off uh, from a fantasy city to found a new um, city in another land. Yep. And what I was planning to do was use microscope to depict the backstory. Um, so the first thing you do in playing microscope is you decide the span of history you're going to depict. And what I was planning to do was say, at the end of this history, a group of plucky um, adventurers go across the ocean to found a new city. At the start, the city is founded. And do the span of that city from the beginning to the departure of the colony across the ocean. Right. And you could do this with um, with any genre, with um, with the expansion of uh, an empire uh, across the stars from Earth or its fall, with um, the re return of magic to 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 a world like our, like our own. It seems to me that this is very much a top-down. It, well, it, start, it, it starts. You, out you're, like you're starting with this with this idea that you're, you're defining your key points and moments and eras and things, yeah. and you're gradually looking closer and closer in, and eventually you might get to a bit where you actually play something with characters involved. Yeah, I mean, you can get to the play something with characters involved a bit quite quickly. Yeah, you start. There are epochs, um, periods of time, um, in which which is the top level of definition. You've got your beginning epoch and your end epoch defined mm -hmm. at the start of the game. Everything in between can, can be can be defined. And so um, each turn, one person starts out uh, and defines what the focus of the turn is going to be, the thing it's going to uh, be about. For example, you could focus on the relationship of the gods to the city in the example I was thinking about. And the first epoch in which the gods helped found the city and lay down the laws is obviously a good point to start. Mm -hmm. And then you have, um, within that, you have events. The next level down... So it, it's a thing that happened at some point during this epoch. Yeah. Um, the goddess of wisdom hands down, hands down the laws of the city could be an event. And it's epochs... Events and scenes, which I'll come to in a moment, are classified either as light or dark. Mm. And then underneath the um, the events are scenes, which are the individual role playing bits of the uh, of of the of the game. Yeah. And there, that's where you actually get to play characters. A scene is defined by the question it's trying to resolve. So the question of um, you might want to resolve in the in the in the epoch of the founding of the city, in the event of the goddess handing down the laws, is the question, and who didn't like the laws? Mm. So you might look at you might play out a scene involving the the early founders of the city, and discovering who it was objected to the the nature of the laws that were laid down. Was it the, the nobles who didn't like being contained? Was it the peasants who didn't like being trod upon? 
and that could start out as um, a dark event or it could be a light event but you resolve you play that game that you play that scene out until it's resolved and the question is answered and then you stop and then that that scene is resolved and in each turn each person gets to go twice around the um around the table in putting in uh, an epoch an event or a scene as um as as they, as they see fit but all about all on about the focus of the relationship that's between the gods and the city the example mm-hmm. i'm giving so you you go around the, the table twice and you what it recommends and what's interesting is you don't help people too much you don't if you can ask them questions uh what do you mean by this what happens here but don't provide them with ideas mm-hmm. even even for the most um creation shy of individuals let them come up with something of their own so that the story will surprise you yeah and that's a, a big thing which they reiterate over and over again and once everybody's gone around twice and the whole thing is resolved the person who has set the focus turns to the person on his right the opposite way around than the play moves <clears throat> and says what's the legacy for this turn and the legacy could is something that's left over from the uh, from the events um which can echo through the rest of the history what, be, what what is the thing that is different because of this oh no 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 what is oh. the th- what it doesn't have to be a result it's um it's just a piece of something that can be one of the games the games that I've run it was the uh it was the standard of a of a lost legion Right. That kept coming up in late, in later uh, epochs and events as, as a symbol of the glory that was way back. And in this case, it could be the wall on which the gods wrote the, wrote the laws. Mm-hmm. And it would be, and you could see that being, um, being revered, being ignored, having fresh bits chipped into it by people who want to revise the laws mm-hmm. and people being blasted by lightning for doing that. It comes, it occurs to me. And gradually you build up, jumping wherever you like, in a, um, and doing whatever you like, because you have absolute control at the moment of the, that it's your turn to decide to add something. And if you want to, I don't know, uh, blast the blast the uh, the drop a rain of fire from the gods on the city, then it's your privilege to. You have absolute power, and other people can't complain, but you can't go against what's already established yeah and it in the few times that i've managed to play it it has been a very interesting and successful game for me it creates um depth and ideas and i've used it as a not not as i was planning on this occasion as a literal yes i'll take that background and i'll build on it I'll throw it away because we're going across the seas, but that's that's what they're taking with them across across the ocean. Yeah. But I have used it as inspiration for stuff that I, I then went, went out and wrote. This is for creating all that stuff at the start of the book, which we don't normally read mm. um, about. And then there was a thousand epoch, a year's epoch of, 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 of bliss before the Great War happened. Um, and it makes it more detailed, more interesting and more flavourful. 
than uh, all those great long uh, lists of stuff that uh, we inherited from Tolkien. Kings and dates. Kings and dates, oh dear me, yes. It, it does seem to me that one thing you get out of this may well be something that makes more sense than a real yeah. bit of history. Well... Because you've, you've got that narrative through line. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're not attempting to create real real history, though you will get perverse bits if people are feeling like being perverse and people being people will and want to throw in something that makes absolutely no sense. But as they say, let people create and let people um, let people do things on their own. Ask them questions to clarify, but don't force your ideas on them. And that's a, that's a good rule for any sort of creative thing. They also do, the same company, uh, do uh, a game called Kingdom, which um, is something in the same vein, but uh, focused specifically around the uh, the results of the history of a, a, a group, a kingdom, a, a barony or whatever, um, a company, um, a, a secret agency or, or whatever. And um, it is more linear and more bound and therefore less successful, I feel. It also has more stricter rules about who you are playing in this kingdom and and what that person can do. It seems to me you could use microscope for that if, yes. if you wanted to. Uh you can and it um but but it, it does more and it is bi- it is bigger. I've not played Kingdom. It does look interesting, but it doesn't look as interesting to me as uh, as microscope. In terms of system, it, it all seemed to me pr- pretty much minimal on that. And yeah. The, 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 even, even the detailed role-playing seems to be pretty much consensus or have a vote about things rather yeah. than... And, uh, ra- rather than any sort of probabilities or... Uh, it's pure it's pure narrativium with uh, control of the narrative passing from hand to hand and everybody getting a chance to, uh, uh, to do something. And basically, it says play until you think it's finished until you think you've explored all you want to explore then stop yeah and uh, that is a uh, that is good advice for uh, for any sort of narrative i liked it i like it i like i like it a lot i i, I wish them more sales yeah, it is I, a special I've, I've had a skim i haven't done much with it so i may well steal the ideas and uh, try, try to use it a bit solo in the, in the world i'm currently building um, is that the depressing one for yes. the? For, oh, good grief! I don't. Uh, I do not envy you that. Envy you that. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. The, the things you're doing to the British civil service in that narrative are are, are wounding my ex-civil servant's soul. <laughs> <laughs> More reports on that later. I think I've covered that. Have we covered that. I think we've got to the end of that, and we oh. should stop. Good. Yes. constant attempts to be a better GM, um, I have uh, obtained an, a book um, from uh, some people called Engine Publishing. It's called Never Unprepared, A Complete Game Master's Guide to Session Prep by Phil Viccioni, I think that's pronounced. Um, it's basically um, a series of recommendations about how to um, how to prepare for campaigns and for individual sessions and how to store information and in my attempts constantly to put the work onto my partner here i've given it to roger to have a look at 
I found it an interesting book, but the impression I got was that it, it was written for somebody who wasn't me. Uh, it, it seemed to be answering all sorts of questions I hadn't had and not answering questions I have had. But I, I'm the sort of person who, well, yeah, I, I, I organise things. Yeah. I put things in order. I sort them by colour and shape. Um, I, I've been keeping campaign notes on computers since well before this was popular or even particularly practicable. Yeah. Um, so when he says, have a file with your NPCs in it, yeah, I'm kind of doing that already. They're not just scribbled in the side in the side of what the adventure of the week was. They've got their own areas. I'm contrast. Well, I'm not sure this is the this is a book that that is written for me. Um, I think he he I may be the sort of um, uh, sort of gem that he is think, thinks needs it. I, on the other hand, whilst I will prepare anything that um, the players are liable to hit or be hit by, I'm quite capable of improvising um, characters and them going back. I've just inserted a mad nun into uh, into my Monday night game, purely in order to force uh, the plot in a certain direction. Can't but go wrong with a mad nun. Mad nun with visions. So, that, uh, <laughs> but I can see she's going to become a a, a, a a permanent fixture of the campaign, just because um, she's too much fun to play. The the impression I get, at least, is that he is expecting a GM to be able to plan a session in terms of this encounter, that encounter, the other encounter. Mm. And while it's nice if it does happen in that order, that's perhaps a bit too dirigist for me in, in my general way of doing things. I mean, I, I have been known to talk to some of the players a week before the game and say, OK, this, this is where you guys were. Is there any particular thing you're planning to do? Because then I can prepare for it. Yeah, well, that's always a good... Always having a clear idea when you end, where it's going to go next is... is is a good idea. I yeah, will... but sometimes it does, this doesn't happen at all. Well, so. true. Um, I've I tend to write um, two to three sides of in my rather large scrawly handwriting in the in the campaign notebook diary. I keep keep a separate A four hardback uh, diary for each, for each campaign, mm-hmm. and that will be this event, that event this threat, that problem. But though I will know where I start, I won't always know what the what the route is that they're going to go. And, I, and they'll go off in some other direction. And eventually, I'll come to a point that I'll write at the bottom and from here on, improvise. Yeah, um, a lot of my adventures take the general form of bad guy plan X is happening. Hmm. Here are some points where it could interface with PCs doing what they do. Yeah. Here are the people involved in it, and a lot, a lot of it really after that flows from what the PCs decide to look into. Yeah, I'm so not... I'll I'll have this is what's going to happen if they don't mess it up. Yeah, and that that's about it. And a lot, a lot of the individual encounters end up being improvised, and a lot of them get end up being put aside for for later and for. Well, uh... that that's the thing. If if I've got all these different locations, all these different things that might happen in them, I'm not going to write up an individual encounter detail with. You know, the, no. all, all, all the um, NPCs and traps and tricks and everything else because I'm probably not going to use most of them so I might, I might as well just run, run them up as I need them. Yeah, the thing is I will, I will have written um, I will have written the stimulus. Yeah. The, the, thing, uh, the, the thing that I know I've got to put in in order to make in order for them to discover what the problem is, what the situation is. Mm. 
and that might be that might be anything from the old, old geezer in the pub giving the giving them the briefing to a uh, crossbow belt thudding by the by the side of their head as the assassin fails to kill them. Mm. That's something I meant to mention when we were talking about death. Unfair deaths. Don't do them. Yeah, you, sh you should have a chance for the PC to take some action. Yeah. Other than just make a die roll. Yeah, but, uh, well, I mean, it may be, it may be, may be die rolls, but the, the, the unstoppable threat should always... Yeah. Should always, always fail. First time. After that, they're fair game. Yeah. Uh, but, but going, going yeah, back to this, yeah, it, it's, it seems to me what, what he's doing is, is it would be very good advice if you were aiming to write an adventure for publication. Mm. Yes. But you know. Um, certainly I've seen adventures written for publication that really didn't work as organisational documents because you've got the location here, the bad guys in that location over there, in you know, 30 pages later in the book. Mm. Yeah, you've got, you've got to do a lot... Uh, if if you're handing it over to somebody else, then you have to do a lot more and a lot different work than if you're just doing it yourself. I would say, yeah, if if you're having trouble um, in with the low level stuff, if if you're if the PCs are going into a bar and you find yourself thinking, hang on a minute, I'm sure I had something that was going to happen in this bar, or I'm sure I had some stats for that bar went somewhere. That then it's great because that's that's the sort of organisation it's dealing with. Uh, but if, if if your trouble is integrating the high-level things, which is what mine tends to be, it doesn't really have a lot to say. Yeah, it it talks a, a, a god about good good habits of of brainstorming, um, of getting th things together, and and I, I will admit that I do all the things that that he, that he says. I I, ma I make small notes, and then I, and and keep them. I always try to write things down when as they occur to me. Um, yeah, but and I do have a regular routine of sitting down a day or even a few hours before the game and doing that initial write up. Um, but yeah, uh, but but the, the 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 I don't know. It's very it's very prescriptive. And it obviously works for him, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm an, another group of people. It's probably good for is people who haven't um, yet set up a particular style of doing things. Yeah possibly you're new to, new to running games um, or you've got a system that doesn't work very well. There, there are certainly stuff to be taken from there. Um, I'm just not quite in the target audience, which is good because there aren't very many people like me. And, and <laughs> make, making a product that appeals to me is a guaranteed way to fail in the market. Oh, well. Uh, bear this in mind, anything we recommend, anything Roger recommends is probably um, specialist. That was a reviews edition of Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Keel. And me, Roger Bell West. If you have any comments, things you'd like us to do, um, or you know, just want to talk to us, we're very lonely, um, you can contact us at podcast at techeli.ly. And uh, from our rain soap to Buckingham Show, we'd like to say glug, 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 splush, glug.